it's possible that we are in a completely fraudulent system. Or you're, you're wrong. <laughs> sure. Um, it's possible. Well, I, just, I just don't know how. I, I guess when someone's wrong, they never, they never know how. Welcome to the 144th episode of Egg Timer Philosophy. I'm your host, Eric Roark, and for today's episode, I'll be delving into the topic of confirmation bias. This is a topic with a lot of important implications for everyday reasoning, and it's often discussed by both philosophers of science and those within psychology. So for today, four big questions. What is confirmation bias? Why do people have a tendency toward confirmation bias? Why does confirmation bias matter? And finally, how can confirmation bias be confronted? Now, confirmation bias is essentially the tendency that people have to interpret new data or information in a way that confirms their prior beliefs. This bias is widespread and it can take place in a scientific laboratory with dozens of research professors interpreting new data or it can happen with the sports better evaluating the weekend's results. It happens whenever people tend to interpret new information in a way that confirms what they already thought was true. This bias is cumulative and typically gets more deeply entrenched with time. So take a sports better. He might tell himself that his two winning bets were right on target, just as he predicted they would be, but the three losing bets he made happened because of the weather or the officiating. Never mind that these things helped his two winning bets as well. The gambler here sees and confirms what he expects and wants to see. No one is immune from this type of bias, no matter how smart they are. Einstein was committed to the view that God does not throw dice, and so he resisted interpreting new data in ways that clearly supported quantum uncertainty. And when police detectives refuse to follow up on new leads because they already have their suspect, they are engaging in confirmation bias as well. So now that the basics of what confirmation bias is are on the table, we can take a look at why the bias exists in pervasive ways. The reason here is biological, and it applies to all people. You have about a three-pound brain, but it burns on average about 20% of your body's calories. This matters a lot because for reasons of survival, we need our brains to work well but not too well. We need our brain to keep us alive, but if it burns too many calories, it can become a liability for survival. For most of human history, calories were pretty tough to find for just about everyone, and that's still a major problem today with global poverty rates. But the general rule for survival was to be very efficient with the calories that were, that were burned. And this included the roughly 20% coming from the use of your brain. To give an idea of just how much thinking and brain activity can impact caloric use, a grandmaster playing competitive chess can burn about 6,000 calories a day. 
That's around triple the amount of calories burned per day by the average person and double that of someone engaging in significant physical activity. And to put this in further perspective, the average marathon runner burns about 2,500 calories during the 26.2 mile run. So astonishing as it may sound, may sound, right? The chess grandmaster playing competitive chess, sitting most of the day, burns as many calories during a tournament day as the marathon runner does during the day of the big race. An unchecked brain constantly processing and thinking would make survival much more difficult because it would threaten to continually use more calories than a person can find. So in order to account for this biological conundrum, our brain has developed to take a lot of shortcuts to save those calories and better enhance survival. Now those mental shortcuts involved concept and category creation to help make thinking more efficient. Those shortcuts though also tend toward us not changing our mind from what we already think is the case. They reinforce prior beliefs. Changing your mind and challenging your beliefs uses a lot more energy and yes, calories, than simply going along with what you always have thought was the case. Now, there's clearly going to be lots of exceptions to this, where changing your beliefs could help you survive. And people are capable of accounting for this when it's clearly called for. But generally, this break from the status quo of reliance on past beliefs is the exception and not the rule. The ramifications of confirmation bias and why it matters are pervasive and significant. Confirmation bias matters because it threatens to give people a systematic false view of reality, systematically false view. It reinforces what people already think, even when what they already think is flawed. There's an important distinction between data and evidence worth noting here. Data is simply information external to us, say numbers on an Excel sheet. In itself, it lacks meaning until it's interpreted. And only after data is interpreted does it become evidence for some claim or belief. The numbers on the sheet are not evidence. They're only data. Evidence doesn't exist in some vacuum without interpretation. And interpretation is often marred by confirmation bias. That's why it won't work to think that if we just had the right data, then confirmation bias would wither away. It doesn't work like that because the data itself wasn't the problem. Instead, it was how the data was interpreted, understood, and ultimately taken to be evidence. A major problem associated with confirmation bias is that it can tend to give us the skewed and unrealistic view of other people. This can happen with either an overly negative or positive appraisal of others. On the negative side of the phenomena is the phenomena of labeling in an educational setting, especially for younger children. And this is a well-documented phenomena. If a teacher already thinks a, a child is a troublemaker, then they're more likely to perceive what the child does in a way that reinforces that idea. The interpretation generally matches the prior belief. Any act of defiance becomes evidence for the child being a troublemaker. The same works the other way as well. 
If a teacher thinks Sally is well-behaved, then when she doesn't behave well, this will likely be interpreted as Sally having a bad day rather than changing the prior belief about Sally. And given that kids, and adults for that matter, generally act in ways that correspond to the labels they are given, this matters a great deal. The good news, at least for this example, is that in just about every education program now, students learning to teach children get a good dose of learning about labeling theory that sociologists have been spending about 50 years developing. That training is really training about confirmation bias, even though it usually isn't put in those terms. Having educators learn about labeling theory is a good applied example of things that could be done to better confront confirmation bias. But the general problem of confronting and and combating confirmation bias is a difficult one. That's because fighting confirmation bias means fighting, or at least resisting, your general biological tendency toward it. And I'd say that's the first step, really appreciating the fact that you will tend to view the world and people in it in ways that categorize efficiently and do not necessarily correspond well with the truth of the matter. And even that recognition is a lot easier said than done. But when it is done, people can decide to dig deeper and lean less on their prior beliefs. A model for this idea can be seen with the idea of falsification developed by the philosopher of science, Karl Popper. Popper argued that scientific processes should rely upon the idea of trying to falsify a a hypothesis rather than working to confirm the hypothesis. You have an idea, and instead of trying to prove that it's true, instead, you should do your best to try to show that it's false. And after a long effort at genuinely trying to show that your hypothesis is false, and this doesn't happen, and you know you can't show it's false, then your conclusion can be at that point that despite your best efforts, you couldn't show that your hypothesis proved false. For Popper, scientific practice should be about trying to show an idea is false rather than trying to demonstrate that it's true. And this basic strategy doesn't just have to apply to science. It can be extended to apply to any area of thought. And when it is, it can serve as a strong check against a tendency toward confirmation bias. That'll wrap things up for this episode. I hope you enjoy the show, and I hope you join me back in a couple of weeks for the next episode of Egg Timer Philosophy. Until then, as always, wishing you good philosophical vibes. I won't change my mind on anything, regardless of the facts that are set out before me. I'm dug in, and I'll never change.